Welcome to The Sages Among Us, everyone. I'm your host, Brian Buckley, and The Sages Among Us focuses on people who are civically engaged and actively participating in the development of their community. Tonight, we're going to get the inside story of just such a citizen leader. Sharon Delgado is a retired United Methodist minister, author, and longtime activist. She and her husband, Gwari, are co-founders of the Earth Justice Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit organization focusing on peace, justice, and environmental issues. Sharon, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's definitely definitely our pleasure. So, you know, when we talk to our guests, we, we love for listeners to learn a bit about them personally, beyond just what their, their mission is. And so let's go back a bit in time and tell us where you started life and what childhood was like for you. Okay, that's a big question. Uh, I was born in San Diego. My parents moved to the Bay Area when when I was about six months old. And then they divorced when I was five, and my mother moved to Oroville to be close to her mother and her brother. So I was raised most of my childhood in Oroville, which is about a little over an hour away. Mm -hmm. And I grew up about three blocks from the Feather River, so I was at the river a lot. And I'd go there even in the in the winter, and not when it well even when it flooded, we'd go and stand up on the levee and watch. And watch. But but uh, even in the fall, in the spring, I would go even when we couldn't swim, and I would just sit and I was kind of a contemplative. Even then, was mm-hmm. a uh, I I recognize looking back that I had that kind of contemplative quality. I loved the natural world. I spent a lot of time outside, and uh, with my friends and by myself. So that was that was where I grew up, and then you uh, are asking me what my childhood was like. There was a lot of beauty, and there was pain. There was trauma, like there is for so many of us. And um, there was addiction in my family, and eventually I needed to deal with my own addiction. So um, I have recovery has been a big part of my life, my own process of recovery. And in 1967, right at the height of the, all the events in the Haight-Ashbury, that's where I went, right? Midterm, it was, my birthday was in December. I was just ready, and I left and uh, went to the Haight-Ashbury and, um, and just lived there for about a year and was part of that whole movement. The whole scene, yeah, the Haight-Ashbury scene. That's yeah. part of my story. I've kind of lived several different incarnations. So, so you were there. I was there, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Haight-Ashbury, mm-hmm. um, and I don't, I don't know if this would be an example of it, but was there any sort of a, a watershed event in your younger years um, including early adulthood, that, uh, you know, really changed the course of your life, led to, you know, have it to the person you are now? Well, when I think of watershed events back then, I think right now of the Vietnam War, because that was part of my, um, of my story, part of my history of growing up in that time period of having friends drafted, one of my friends was died in the Vietnam War. Another friend who died recently um, was a very seriously 
uh, ill with alcoholism for many years. And a lot of people came back pretty severely damaged. So, uh, and that in, that also um, reminds me of the music that I was listening to. Mm-hmm. That, that, the music of that time was kind of watershed for me. And I was somewhat depressed during my junior year of high school and uh, listened to a lot of Bob Dylan and Joan Baez. And that was just part of the, the times. And it was... Um, and then when I got to the Haight-Ashbury, there was a very strong anti-war movement. When I look back at that now, I realized that that anti-war sentiment that I had was very personal. I didn't have a political, uh, really, analysis like I would today. Mm-hmm. But I was part of the milieu, and that was part of um, what I kind of took for granted, I think, that I was against the war. I hadn't really thought it through completely. But yes, I was, and I still am, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were some events that, that carried some weight for me. So it sounds like you're saying that since you, you have been pretty much a, a lifelong activist of one sort or another, this was a seminal time for you. It was a seminal time, but it really wasn't where my activism started. Okay. I did go to marches. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, but that became more of an internal motivated thing for me later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, when I, uh, during a crisis in my marriage, when um, I turned to Christianity and was baptized, and fortunately was not uh, led in a direction that was really conservative and restrictive, but rather into a uh, movement of Christianity that at the time was people talked about as radical discipleship. Mm. So like with, uh, I went to a, a, uh, a retreat about two and a half weeks ago, and I was a co-leader of the retreat. It was in, um, in um, sorry, Minnesota. And I um, was, I met some people that were like the offspring of some of the people that I had been influenced by. Okay. I met Dorothy Day's granddaughter. I met Frida Berrigan, so the daughter of Phil Berrigan and, and Phil Berrigan and um, Daniel Berrigan. Berrigan. Yeah, the yeah. Berrigan brothers really influenced me. William Sloan Coffin, and I'm still in. Uh, Noah, I'm in connection with um, Ted Myers from Bartimaeus Community, and then there's um, Jim Wallace from Sojourners Community. So there was a whole circle of people at the time, and still going, who uh, had a perspective on Christianity that linked spirituality with social justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me more about radical discipleship, and, and where was this? Where Where did you first encounter this? Uh, it's You can still look it up. There are still websites with some pretty um, intriguing um, stories and, and things going on today. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty much where I am still, mm-hmm. which is looking at the world through a spiritual perspective, and specifically a perspective of um, following Jesus and in uh, in my actions and in my approach to the world, instead of being dominated by the 
values of the culture, say, for instance, mm-hmm. which I see as um, hierarchy, mm-hmm. uh, wealth, mm-hmm. and poverty, mm-hmm. and uh, domination backed by violence, worldly power. Mm-hmm. But, but Jesus pointed to a different direction mm-hmm. of egalitarian um, a perspective and inclusion and of um, not being materialistic and of sharing what we have and of nonviolence. And so nonviolence is a really big part of that. And so I have not only been an activist, but a nonviolence practitioner mm-hmm. for many years. And um, an example of what I'm talking about of radical discipleship, I, I don't think that many people talk about it like that anymore, but... Um, was that the first time I was arrested for civil disobedience was at the Nevada test site on a Good Friday mm. because, um, because nuclear weapons was another, later on, was another watershed moment for me when I realized that my children were actually at risk and we're, we were living under the threat of, of uh, we were pr- having a pretty close call with nuclear weapons, and we and we are again today, mm-hmm. quite. So, was this back at the time when they were doing the you know duck and cover drills for? That was my childhood. That was right. in my childhood. This, mm-hmm. this was a little bit later. This is kind of fast forward ahead mm-hmm. to um, when I became a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. and um, that was when I became an activist mm-hmm. was because I could see how th- my faith and my attitude toward the world, how they, they needed to be in sync. Mm-hmm. And this was what seemed the right direction to me, was to actually respond to the events of the day and not just be in my own little um, comfortable private mm-hmm. world. It sounds like maybe uh, becoming a parent had some influence Absolutely. on that as well. And the first meeting that I ever went to was here in Nevada City, and it was... The first meeting of... Of activism. The okay. first activist meeting. And it was in 1979, because they had just re-upped, re-written into law, um, draft registration... Because after Vietnam, we didn't have that for a while. And so when they did that, and I had a t- 11 and a 13-year-old sons, um, that was the first meeting I went to. And, by the way, um, my friend Brian Fry, who lives here still and is at the Nevada City United Methodist Church, he was at that meeting. And we've been friends ever since. Great. Yeah. Great story. So you had a pretty impressive list uh, a few minutes ago, but I, I was wondering, you know, as you look back along the way, are there people that, you know, you can identify as highly influential or people you, you may even want to thank on air for, mm. you know, contributing to your life and, oh, in some way? I like that. Um, a lot of the people who have influenced me have been personal mentors, mm-hmm. um, sponsors, Um, pastors, um, spiritual counselor, counselors, Mm -hmm. uh, people who have helped me become the person who I am today and a person who um, 
at least attempts to have my insides reflect, my outside reflect my inside, Mm -hmm. so that I can um, be seen and be willing to be seen Mm -hmm. and not feel like I have to live up to some ideal or some something. So I'm not sure if there are any people that I really want to mention on air, but I uh, shout out to you if you're listening. You know who you are. But I will say that the other day when I was at the Mine Watch gathering at the, at the um, Board of Supervisors offices for the Planning Commission, and I was outside, I ran into somebody. Her name is Lee Good. Hi, Lee, if you're there. She was a, she was my high school English teacher, <laughs> and she was only there for one year, but she was such an, I just idolized her. I just thought, because she was young, she was not much older than I was, mm-hmm. and a few years, but, but I could see myself, and for a long time, I wanted to be an English teacher like mm-hmm. Lee, so that was, that's an example of it. Of, of someone who, who influenced me quite a bit. Yeah, and then my other friend, Debbie Warwick, uh, she was with me at the Nevada test site. I have a picture of her and I in our uh, early 20s, probably, um, with our little plastic handcuffs on uh, being taken to the, to the pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. But mostly people along the way, people uh-huh. that have been friends and become friends. Great. You're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Brian Buckley, and we're talking tonight with Sharon Delgado, retired United Methodist minister, author, activist, and co-founder of Earth Justice Ministries. You know, um, Sharon, you you indicated that you lived in a number of different places and and had your er, early life not too far from here in Mm -hmm. in Oroville. Uh, How did you first make it to... Nevada County? Well, after my, well, it was uh, while I was in Santa, or, I'm sorry, while I was in San Francisco, I met Guadi. And he happened, we lived close together, I mean, near each other. And so actually, I could look out the window and see him at his house. <laughs> you had a view of Guadi from did. your place. I yes. had a view of Guadi from my place. <laughs> and so we, uh, we got together. We started a family. Uh, and then in 1970 and 71, I think it was 71 when we actually arrived here in Nevada County. But we had taken some road trips. We'd gone to Boulder, Colorado. We knew we wanted to go back to the land. Mm-hmm. That was back then, the movement of back to the land. And so we finally made it here. I did have an aunt here. And so I had spent some little bit of time in Nevada City when, um, when I was young. And um, so we, we came back here and we lived in a house without electricity for about seven years out in the woods. And it was beautiful. We lived out, Red Dog, um, before Deer Creek Park, I think. But <laughs> because there were young people that would be driving out in the middle of the night and they'd one of the couple of the guys who'd come back come walking we'd be the first telephone that they could find from the creek yes <laughs> oh, greenhorn <laughs> so uh 
so we that's when we were back here, and uh, that's what brought us here, the beauty. Uh, we loved it. And then we were gone for uh, some years when I was doing ministry. We were in Santa Cruz for about 15 years, and at that time I was pastor of the uh, Santa Cruz United Methodist Church, and uh, then I went into a specialized ministry. We created our organization in 1990, maybe 94. Earth Justice Ministries. Earth Justice Ministries, and I was also working with the Resource Center for Nonviolence there. That was, and that quite a bit during the uh, early part of the War on Terror. Mm-hmm. So I had a whole peacemakers group going. So we were, we were there for 15 years. And then we came back here in retirement to our home, like we knew we were going to do. Uh, and we renovated, did some not huge renovations, but we renovated the house for our retirement. The same one with no electricity. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. We were able to build a house eventually. That was 79. Where okay. We, because I remember that year that we had uh, the turkey, we had the oven installed, but the oven didn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> it had just been installed and it wasn't working. So, yes, I remember that. Okay, okay. So the, it, it became evident to you that this was home, this area. This is home. Great. This is home. So, you, much so. You've, we've mentioned Earth Justice Ministries. Uh, talk to, to us about that. Uh, tell us about the organization and its history, what, what your mission is, and any recent examples of activities. Okay. Uh, in Santa Cruz, it was um, in 1992, I was part of the United Methodist delegation to Rio de Janeiro during the first climate conference, the United Nations Conference on Environment and Development. And when I and I had um, majored, I'd just not only been through seminary and gotten my Master of Divinity degree, but I got um, a secondary degree in church and religion and society with an emphasis on environmental uh, justice. So uh, I, from that point on, I started speaking and going to leading uh, seminars and uh, going to conferences and such on and doing writing for the National Council of Churches and um, our denomination on climate change, environmental justice, and other kinds of environmental issues, as well as justice issues. But um, that's when we started working uh, and pulling together Earth Justice Ministries. And this was, by the way, before Earth Justice Legal Defense Fund got their name. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it just came to Guadi and they had focus groups because we talked to them later. But anyway, so we had uh, uh, our nonprofit going there in Santa Cruz from pretty early on. And we did conferences that merged church with community, which was pretty exciting. We worked uh, with Humboldt, uh, Pacific Lumber Company in the Timber Wars era. We went to Salinas and and worked with uh, uh, farm workers and um, demonstrated on their behalf because of the pesticide issues that were near their schools and uh, the workers. And we hosted all kinds of things, toxics tours and <laughs> environmental justice conferences and so on. So, And I did lots of presentations, as I still do. 
So we moved the organization with us when we retired, and so we brought it up here, and we reconstituted the board, and it's all local members now here. Mm-hmm. So there's are so many environmental and social justice issues to list and, and, and to to work on. How how do you choose what you know, is going to receive your attention from Earth Justice Ministries? That's a really good question. Um, right now, the way it's working, and it actually has quite a bit, it the, the board members or people who come to the board, advisors or even people in the community, come to the board and talk to us about what they would like to do, what they'd take the lead on, and then uh, we talk about it and we decide whether or not that that's something that goes along with our mission. And if so, we probably say yes or we often say yes because we, um, we want to see things happen that, are, that, are, that lead in the direction of our mission. And so in our mission is to follow the lead of the Spirit as we work for the transformation of the world through compassion, nonviolence, and justice for all creation. So what we do is we bring a faith perspective to whatever it is that we're working on. And some projects we just take on because it's time. And, and actually a lot of what we do is in response to a need that we perceive in the community. Mm. For instance, working with MindWatch, uh, when we would write um, our letters to the Board of Supervisors and when we would make our public appeals or write a joint Earth Justice Ministries letter to the union. So with MindWatch, for instance, we would write a letter that, uh, and always did, that um, it relates spirit, faith, justice to what we're dealing with. So, for instance, uh, one of our letters was about aesthetics, which people might downplay what just aesthetics. It's just, you know, art or looks. But it's important because a lot of people here, you know, going outside, spending time in this beautiful place is like going to church. Or we might talk about the the Nisinan people and their rights because the rights of, of nature and the rights of indigenous people go together. Mm-hmm. And so we stress that in, in a lot of things, but as, as for instance, with the Bear River and trying to stop Centennial Dam, we have people on our board who are passionate about, passionate about some of these different issues. Mm-hmm. And so we have that kind of energy that, that we can pull together and work together to um, decide how best to address these things. Some other things that we're dealing with right now are well, racial justice, we have been uh, working with other local groups on racial justice issues and school board meetings and that kind of thing. Youth empowerment for climate action, we help um, support and encourage the Sunrise Movement that is kind of coming back after COVID. Uh, peacemaking, we've done peacemaking related to drones at Beale, the Global Hawk drone, which helps find targets for the Predator and Reaper drones. Um, Israel-Palestine, and climate change. We just had a great big uh, march, uh, not march, it was an action, though, 
on um, banking on our future, which was part of a national action on March 21st, mm-hmm. where some of us cut up our credit cards at the banks that fund climate change. And covered and in the union, fun. as I recall, it was covered yeah. in the union really yeah. well. Yes, and we had our sign that was um, Third Act Faith because I was at that time, on the board of the faith working group of Bill McKibben's new group, Third oh. Act for Elders. But I resigned. I had too many other irons in the fire. So, Got it. And if people yeah. want to help or find out more, you can go to our, um, our, our website at earth-justice.org, or you can email us at info at earth-justice.org, and we do have a Facebook page. Great. So if people want to get involved, you just told them how. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yep. You're, you're also an author. I am an author. Tell us about that and some of your recent writings. Okay. All right. My first book was in 2007, right before the financial collapse. Uh, now it came out again in 2020, second edition, much updated. It's called, uh, through the Obama and Trump years, it's called Shaking the Gates of Hell, Faith-Led Resistance to Corporate Globalization. And I was also at the Seattle um, demonstration uh, against the WTO in late um, uh, 1999. And so I came out from there, and that's when I started that book. It did take me seven years to write. But it's an overview of the global economy from the perspective of uh, a theological perspective based on the biblical concept of the powers and principalities. Uh, demythologized, that means the powers that be. Mm-hmm. The dominant powers that that rule our world right, right. now. Uh-huh. And it uh, has creation, it has resistance, and that was like my landmark book. My next landmark book, no, my next book was uh, Love in a Time of Climate Change, Honoring Creation, Establishing Justice. And I'm making the point in that book that we need both creation, uh, care, uh, doing the things we do in our personal lives and beyond, but we also need to focus on justice because the people who are impacted are usually, and right now and will be in the future, those who have least caused the climate crisis and who are most, those are the ones who are most impacted. Mm -hmm. And finally, my book uh, that came out last year, The Cross in the Midst of Creation, Following Jesus, Engaging the Powers, Transforming the World, is a response to uh, white Christian nationalism. It's a challenge to that way of viewing the world. And I contrast a, a walk that I had in downtown Santa Cruz, uh, Stations of the Cross, going where, where Christ is being crucified today. And it looks to me, with the suffering that's going on in similar ways by similar powers— and then contrasting that with the cross and the Jesus pictures with the MAGA hats and all of the religious symbols at the January 6th um, insurrection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are my three books. And you can go to my website. You can read my blog at uh, SharonDelgado.org. Progressive it. Christian Social Action is my, my okay. blog. Okay. Well, one of the, uh, the questions we often ask, uh, the guests here on The Sages Among Us, is if they had a magic wand, so if you had a magic wand and could be granted one wish uh, if you waved it over our community, 
what might that wish be? Well, I don't really think it will take a magic wand because I look at how we have organized through MindWatch and the people who have led that, and it's so promising. There are uh, political and social divides in our in our community, but that is so inspiring to see how so many people who are so competent and committed and willing to put time and energy and money into protecting this community from the harm of toxic mining. It wouldn't take a magic wand. It would just take us continuing on in a similar way, uh, coordinating our efforts to, com- to um, improve our community in any number of ways. And so many people are already doing that. So many people are doing great work. And we could use the same model as we have used with MindWatch to stay connected and to protect our rural quality of life for the long haul. We don't want this to happen every eight or ten years. All right. To create justice for those who are disenfranchised and to help build reconciliation among the people here and paths for peace. Great. Well, that's, what I, that's my You're issue. the first person to say that uh, the magic wand was already here. So the thank you so wand. much for yeah. joining us tonight. Oh, thank you.